Hallelujah. Good morning. Welcome to another Sunday in the house of the Lord. Um, today we're carrying on with our series, Thriving in Christ. Amen. Uh, last week we had part one. <clears throat> today we are having part two. This is also the final part of our series, a short series. Um, so to begin with, I just wanted to give a quick recap of what we discussed last week because that would be where we are starting off from for this week. So last week, um, the foundation we set is that this year the Lord is calling us into a season of thriving. Amen. We discussed how the theme of the year is the year of plenty and progress, a year of abundance, a year of thriving. And in this season of thriving, God doesn't only want to expand our physical territories. Amen. He doesn't only want to expand material things. It's not just about more money, better jobs, and so on, but God is also talking about our spiritual lives. Amen. That is the season where he wants us to expand our spiritual territories in the kingdom of God, to go deeper in our relationship with him to have access to more power, access to more authority, access to more dominion. Amen. I gave a picture of how the Holy Spirit is ready to flex on the inside of us like a bodybuilder. He wants to show up and to show off in our lives what he's able to do. Amen. And I referred to how this year God wants us to step into becoming pillars in the kingdom. Pillars that can hold some weight, where he can put some weight on us, where he can trust us with certain things, where he knows that if he wants to birth something in this kingdom, he has people who he can call in KICC Malawi because we are pillars in the kingdom. And as he's calling us into a season of more, God is also calling us to change. We read the story in Mark 10, verse 46 to 50, about blind Bartimaeus. And how when Jesus called him, he threw off his cloak. Amen. And in that throwing off of his cloak, he was signifying that when you're stepping into a new season, when you're stepping into a season of more, you can't show up the same way. That when God is calling you into a new season, he's also calling you to change some things about yourself. Change your habits. Change who you spend time with. Change how you spend your money. He's calling you to transition because you can't show up the same person. Amen. You can't be the same person in your season of surviving and your season of thriving. A season of thriving calls for a new person to show up. And... We said that our cloaks were many things, and I believe that last week people were able to identify different things of what their cloak could be. But we said that cloaks are the things that hold us back in life, the things that stop us from progressing in our spiritual life in the kingdom of God. And last week, especially, we talked about feelings, and we looked at a scripture in Revelation 12, and we used that as a metaphor to say that sometimes these things that prevent us from more of God can show up like dragons in our lives that threaten to devour everything that we are trying to produce for God. Amen. So, 
we are carrying on with that same theme. A season of more. More might look like something different for each one of us. Maybe it's more prayer. Maybe it's more of the word. Maybe it's more of ministry. Maybe it's more of visitations. Whatever your more is, we're simply saying that this year God wants us to step into a season of more. Amen. More of him. So, just as we did last week, what we're talking about especially is the process of changing, right? We're discussing that process of transitioning. How do we transition from one season into a season of more? What does that transition look like? Last week, the transition looked like throwing off our cloaks. But this week, I would like to discuss the topic of wilderness experiences. Amen. Wilderness experiences. Very often, the Lord uses this method to take us from one level to another. Maybe we've all heard of this phrase, right? Wilderness experiences. It's mentioned a lot in the Bible, a lot more than I was aware of, actually. So today we're going to pick out a few of the examples in the Bible that tell us about wilderness experiences. And sometimes wilderness experience is called a deserted place, right? So you find in the Bible, sometimes it's called a wilderness. Sometimes it's called a deserted place. Sometimes it's called an inhabited place, right? Place where there's no one there. I also like to call it a space in between. Because many times the wilderness experience is the space in between the promise and the promised land. Amen. It's in between where God calls you to something and then you actually become that thing, right? The Bible tells us that God is the God who calls the end from the beginning. So sometimes God will give you a promise, but you don't look anything like the promise. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I don't know if anybody has ever received a promise, but you don't look like anything like the promise, right? You don't have the resources. You don't have the finances. You don't have the qualifications. And in that space in between, many times it's called the wilderness experience, where you are becoming the promise, becoming the purpose, becoming the calling, becoming the anointing. Amen. And uh, the wilderness is an important place of change. If we approach it the right way, <laughs> it's an important place of change. Let's look at Jesus for a moment. In uh, the book of Luke, <clears throat> actually several Gospels record this, but today we're going to be looking mainly at the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, after being baptized by John the Baptist, um, I'm just going to talk about this story. You don't have to like turn to it, but um, the story is in Luke chapter 4. Um, in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, right? And it's this incredible moment. Heavens are open a dove descends. It's amazing. And you'd think that, well, now something big is about to happen. Uh, but before God launches him into ministry, Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. It's kind of strange. 
this like amazing moment of anointing, amazing moment of calling, and then the next thing we transition to him being in a deserted place for 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by Satan. And that's the interesting thing about wilderness experiences is that it is normally followed by a mountaintop experience. That the wilderness comes before the mountaintop. Amen. Before the mountaintop, we have to walk through the wilderness. And Jesus was taken to the wilderness. So since Jesus was taken into the wilderness, we know that us too, we're going to have to walk through wildernesses sometimes. Amen. If Jesus walked through it, we're going to have to walk through it. Um, and after being tested in the wilderness, uh, Jesus returned often to the wilderness. Right? Voluntarily returned to the wilderness. I don't know. There are some wilderness experiences I never want to repeat in my life, but Jesus returned often. I just want us to look at the scriptures that um, tell us that he returned. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16. However, I'm sorry, let's actually start from chapter 4 so that we can go in chronological order. Let's start from Luke chapter 4, verse 40 to 42. Luke chapter 4, verse 40 to 42. Um, it says, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. Amen. So even when Jesus was experiencing a lot of popularity in his ministry, when many of us wouldn't want to leave the podium, he departed and went into a deserted place. Amen. A little bit strange, but it shows up again in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verse 15 and 16 says, However, the report went around concerning him all the more. His popularity kept growing. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. His ministry is going well. He's performing miracles. He's healing lots of people. And then verse 16 says, so he himself often, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Even when things were going so well for him, he withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So what did Jesus find in the wilderness? <laughs> what was there? Amen. Why did he go there voluntarily? Often. Even when he was popular, even when great multitudes were coming to be healed, things were going well for him. But still, he often withdrew to the wilderness. Amen. So, this week we're going to get into this topic. Because sometimes... Our step into more will look like a step into the wilderness. Amen. Our step into more will sometimes, or even let me say often, look like a step into the wilderness. And that's where many of us miss it. 
because we think, oh, then things aren't going well right now. God called me, but now I'm in a wilderness. I think I'm not on the right track. Satan, get behind me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you start praying for the situation to go away, but I'm here to let you know that many times step into the next season will actually look like a step into a deserted place, a step into an inhabited place. But we want to learn today how we can come out of the wilderness with power. Amen. How can you successfully make it through the wilderness into your season of more? So today, I would like to sell you on the idea of the wilderness experience. I want to tell you how amazing it is. So today, consider me a saleswoman, right? I'm a saleswoman this morning. And the product that I'm selling is the wilderness experience. So... <laughs> It's not to be avoided despite its bad reputation. It is actually like Jesus shows us a place that we should embrace. Amen. So, what is the wilderness experience? Let me start with a definition that I found online about this. A wilderness experience <clears throat> is usually thought of as a tough time in which a believer endures discomfort and trials. The pleasant things of, li of life are unable to be enjoyed or they may be absent altogether. And one feels a lack of encouragement. Have you ever thought a lack of motivation to pray? <laughs> Just feel empty. I don't want to read the word. I don't want to pray. I don't even want God. I don't want church. I don't want anything. Just leave me alone. A lack of encouragement. Amen. A wilderness experience is often a time of intensified temptation and spiritual attack. If you've ever gone through a season where it seems like you are the devil's favorite person, then you've been through a wilderness. Amen. <laughs> where every morning you wake up and it's a new thing. <laughs> It means you've gone through a wilderness experience. And it can often involve a sort of drought, right? Maybe a spiritual drought where you feel just really empty and far from God. Maybe a financial drought. No money, no prospects of money, <laughs> just living day to day. And sometimes it can also feel like an emotional drought. Amen. Maybe a boyfriend dumped you. Maybe a close friend left you. <laughs> Left you emotionally abandoned. Amen. Um, however, I want to mention two things about the wilderness experience. It sounds, you know, a lot. <laughs> but wilderness experience is not necessarily a sign that a believer is sinning, right? Maybe that's a misconception we have. God is punishing me for something. But if you didn't do anything wrong, you're not, he's not punishing you for anything. <laughs> so many times... Um, it's not a sign that a believer is sinning. Rather, it is a time of God-ordained testing. Amen. God-ordained testing. So it's not caused by sin. Sometimes in the Bible, you will read that the wilderness experience came up as a reaction to sin. But the purpose of it is not to punish the sin. Punishment is not the point of a wilderness experience at all. Amen. And we know this from the story of Job. The famous man who went through a crazy wilderness experience. He was a righteous man. He hadn't sinned. But God still led him through a wilderness. Jesus, who we just read about, the son of God, who the heavens opened up and said, this is my son. He was led into a wilderness. The apostle Paul was led into the wilderness. He was imprisoned. So it's not about sin. 
Amen. It's not about some mistake you've made or that God doesn't love you anymore. It's just a time of God-ordained testing. And that's an important thing, that it's God-ordained. Sometimes we miss that. We think that the devil <laughs> is active and present in our lives, but in the scripture in Luke about Jesus being led into the wilderness, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God led him into a wilderness. In some versions, it says that filled with the Holy Spirit, he went into the wilderness. God led him there. In the scripture we read last week in Revelation 12, uh, in verse 6, I believe, it talks about how this woman escaped to the wilderness. And it says that it was a place prepared for her by God. God prepares your wilderness specifically for you. <laughs> specifically designed for you. Because no two wilderness experiences are the same. Hmm? My wilderness and Naomi's wilderness, very different. <laughs> so God designs it specifically for you. Mm. I think 2020 and 2021 have been wilderness seasons for the whole world, right? Um, it's been a tough time of intense testing. A time of isolation, you know, that emotional drought we were talking about, we were under lockdown. We felt emotionally abandoned, right? There was also a spiritual drought. A lot of churches were closed. People didn't have access to places where they normally worshipped. There was a financial drought. There was about over 400 million jobs that were lost. Financial drought. And this is just to give a very obvious modern day example of what a wilderness is, right? Maybe this definition sounds familiar to you. Because maybe... It represents something you're going through right now or something you have been through. John C. Maxwell said, A faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. Amen. A faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. And as I thought about this more, I said, but why does God need to test us? You know, Psalms tells me that he knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows my thoughts. He knows my words. So why does he need to test my faith? I think it's linked to the fact that God, despite the fact that he knows us, he gave us free will. We can choose how much we are committed to him. We can choose whether we believe him or not. Because of that free will, he needs to test your faith. Just to be sure. Is this girl really serious about me? <laughs> you know, in, um, in engineering, I know a lot about engineering now since I'm married to a civil engineer. So you can ask me anything. I know how to construct a road. I know, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, something my husband often tells me is about how they test out the, um, the stability of concrete, right? He's a concrete, I don't know, specialist or something. So he works a lot with concrete. And he often tells me that when they purchase concrete and they're about to, you know, build their structure, they make it into like a block and then put it under different tests just to see whether it can sustain the pressure, right? Like, is this suitable for what we want to build? Is this concrete going to carry the weight for what we are trying to build? Amen. And I think that's the same thing that God does with us. He's trying to test your faith to see how much weight can I put on this person? Amen. How much weight can I put on her? How much pressure can she sustain? Because serving in the kingdom of God is pressure. Amen. 
the Bible tells us that the violent take it by force. It's not a mistake that they said that. Serving in the kingdom of God is pressure. Amen. So the season of wilderness is meant to test you. Right? Can he trust you for the next season? Can he trust you with that ministry? Can he trust you with that calling? Can he trust you with that anointing? He's trying to test whether you can take the pressure. But how does a time of God-ordained testing lead us into a mountaintop experience? I'm so glad you asked that question. So <laughs> we're going to look at six examples in the Bible of different wilderness experiences and the benefits that we can draw from them. Remember, I'm trying to sell you on the idea of the wilderness experience. God wants to make sure that the next time you're presented with the wilderness experience, you don't run away. Amen. <laughs> God is trying to make sure that the next time he tests you, you pass the test. Because here's the funny thing. If you fail the test, he's going to repeat it. He'll keep repeating it. Some people kept taking the same test for 40 years. May that not be me in Jesus' name. <laughs> so if you keep failing the test, you keep repeating the class. And I like Pastor Sunga was talking about that yesterday in prayers. You fail standard one, you repeat it. And you will stay there. <laughs> Amen. So today I want to sell you on some of the benefits that walking through the wilderness give us. And I'm saying this because many times I've failed this test. Amen. <laughs> I had to um, also teach myself about the benefits of walking through this. So please don't think I'm an expert. I'm actually talking from experience. So the first scripture I want us to look at is still in the book of Luke. Um, we're going to read from Luke chapter 4, again, um, verses 16 to 19. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 19. The first benefit um, I want us to understand is that walking through the wilderness gives us the audacity to pursue purpose. Amen. Or oh, you might use the word confidence. I don't know which word to use, but... I like the word audacity. I like the way it sounds. That <laughs> the first benefit of that we find in the wilderness, it gives us audacity to pursue purpose. Let's turn to the word. Um, Luke 4 verse 16. So he, meaning Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. I'm sorry, we're going on to verse 19. Um, where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. This scripture shows us um, the first time that Jesus reveals his divine mission, and he chooses to reveal it in a synagogue of all places, right? With a, a group of elite Jewish people in there, and he essentially proclaims before these religious folk, that I am the deliverer you have been waiting for. 
just a poor carpenter. <laughs> he didn't even have any title. I don't, I, I don't know if he had some title in the synagogue, but he just stood up and declared, I am the deliverer you've been waiting for. The one Isaiah spoke about, that's me. <laughs> I am the Messiah. I mean, wow. <laughs> and you know, uh, when you carry on in the scripture, it says that everyone was shocked. You know, shook. As young people, when something really shook us, we say shooketh, you know. Shook, like what? <laughs> and they asked the question, um, isn't this Joseph's son? And you know, in asking that, it says a lot of things, right? There's a lot of implications to that question. Essentially, because Jesus wasn't very affluent. So one, they're commenting on his affluence. <sighs> Look at this guy. Isn't this just Joseph's son? But also commenting on his education. He wasn't that well-educated like them. So they're like, isn't this just Joseph's son, the carpenter who we know? Right? But coming out of the wilderness gave Jesus audacity and authority. Because this scripture is following. This is the first thing he does after coming out of the wilderness. After being there for 40 days and 40 nights, goes straight to the synagogue and says, I am the Messiah. <laughs> so the wilderness, you can see, gave Jesus audacity and authority. If you go on to verse 32, uh, my version is the New King James Version. Maybe other versions might use a different word. But verse, the verse 32 of the same chapter says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Amen. Authority. You know, there are some things you will never have authority to speak on until you've been through them. Amen. There are some things you don't have any business talking about until you have experienced it. Amen. The wilderness experience gives you authority to speak on certain things. Because you're like, I've been through it. I get it. And in the wilderness there, Jesus had the calling upon his life confirmed, right? He was called, and then in the wilderness, his calling was confirmed, and it gave him authority to be able to declare in front of the Jewish elite in a synagogue to say, I am the Messiah. The guy the prophet spoke about, it's me. I know you didn't think it was me, but it's me. Amen. And I also believe that there is a type of audacity, right, or confidence that comes from having survived something. Have you ever met a survivor? Somebody who survived something tough. They have a certain boldness about them. You can't be meek after you've survived certain things. You have this audacity about you. It's like this atmosphere around you where you just feel like I can tackle anything because I went through that. Amen. I remember a friend in high school once said those words to me. She had just lost her father. And she said, this was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. I don't think there's anything else that can hurt me in this world. Whether it was true or not, I don't know. <laughs> but she had that audacity to say, I've just been through this. There's nothing in this world that can hurt me. Because I just went through the worst pain. Pain gives you audacity for some reason. <laughs> Amen. And when you've gone through a season of drought where you didn't have enough, you just barely made it through, there's a certain 
confidence that surrounds you, a certain boldness, certain boldness to take on the world. Like, I've been through this so I can survive the next thing. I suspect that this is the same audacity that led the woman with the alabaster box. I love that story. She's one of my heroes in the Bible. This woman who they just say she was a sinner. We don't know what she did. <laughs> but even that alone shows us that she probably survived some things. Amen. And she had audacity. Stepped into a room full of the religious men, the religious elite, and got down on her knees to worship Jesus. Audacity. Because people looked at her and said, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. But she was a survivor of something. I believe that surviving of something gave her audacity. Like, listen, even you can't stop me from getting to Jesus. You don't know the things that I've overcome. You don't know the people who challenged me. You don't know the things I faced. I'm not scared of you. Nothing is going to stop me from getting to Jesus. Audacity. Survival gives you audacity. Amen. And in that audacity, you gain audacity to pursue purpose. The violent take it by storm. You have to have audacity in the kingdom of God. Amen. Audacity to pursue purpose. Audacity to pursue ministry. Audacity to pursue the lost. Audacity to preach the gospel. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Our second benefit we're going to look at First um, Samuel 17, verse 28. The second benefit is that we find strength in the wilderness. Amen. Strength in the wilderness. Um, First Samuel chapter 17. We are reading verse 28. <clears throat> so let me give a, a bit of a background to this verse. Um, we're going to read the story of David. This is a few hours before he defeats Goliath, right? The passage, with this, the verse we're about to read. And what has happened is that David has shown up to the battlefield and he has seen Goliath um, standing there, you know. Um, and... He asks the men who are fighting, um, you know, he says, what's the reward for the person who kills this giant? And then the men start telling him. And David's older brother, Eliab, overhears David asking this question, right? So this is what Eliab does in verse 28. It says, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why do you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Amen. I think Eliab was a little bit jealous, honestly. Because you know where... Um, when, uh, when David was being anointed, Eliab thought that it was him who was about to be anointed, you know? He said, oh, now I think you found the anointed of God. And then God told Samuel, I said, no, I've refused him. He's not the one. So I, I feel a little bit like maybe Eliab was, you know, jealous. But in this verse, um, Eliab really taunts his brother David, right? 
He questions, like, why are you here? So to say, you don't belong here. This is a battleground. You don't belong here, David. But he also undermines his wilderness experience. Because before this, David was in the wilderness, right? When he was a shepherd looking after sheep, he was in the wilderness. And that's where God picked him out of. So he undermines his wilderness experience by saying, who have you left those few sheep in the wilderness with? You know, like all you were doing in the wilderness was looking after sheep. What makes you think you can be here talking about fighting giants and whatever? And so it's really fascinating because Eliab was really wrong <laughs> about this whole assumption he made about David's wilderness experience. Later on, uh, in verse 34 and 35, I'll just read that to you guys quickly because I want you guys to hear the words yourself. Um, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defiled the armies of the living God. Ooh, hallelujah. <laughs> so, in this scripture, we realize before David met Goliath, he had already tackled a lion and a bear. <laughs> before the giant was the lion and the bear. I mean, honestly, when I, when I used to be taught about the story of David, I wasn't taught this part. I don't know about you guys. But <laughs> in Sunday school, I wasn't taught this part. I read about it much later. And I used to always think, you know, in my imaginings, that David was just a normal shepherd boy who showed up that day and something supernatural happened, like God, you know... <laughs> gave him supernatural power in his arm and he was able, because, I mean, the story didn't make sense. But in this verse, we realize that before the giant, he tackled a lion and a bear. So in all truth, nothing really supernatural happened that day on the battlefield because the Lord had strengthened David in the wilderness. I mean, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I was trying to really picture this. Imagine you're in a field and a lion comes and takes a lamb that you're looking. I mean, a lion is not like a dog. It's, we're talking about something this size. And a bear is even bigger. You're sitting there, a lion comes and gets your lamb. And David says, he ran after it. Um, <laughs> David was crazy. <laughs> He ran, no, you couldn't pay me enough money to run after a lion. No way. No way, no way, no way. <laughs> Nothing you could give me could make me run after a lion. Actually, I would give him a few more of the sheep to make sure he doesn't come back. No thanks. <laughs> David was crazy. He ran after the lion. You know, I used to joke with my friends that 
If I was ever in a horror movie, it would be really short. Because once I hear a strange noise, I'm not going to investigate. No. Run in the opposite direction, please. No. I'm the type of person I see a cockroach crawling past, I'll scream. No way. No way. And you know, it's gotten to the point, um, my husband, when he hears me screaming in the house, he doesn't know what it is because it could be anything. It could be a moth, a cockroach, a wild animal. The scream is the same. It's the same. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> And he has accused me of being like the boy who cries wolf. He's like, you scream so much, I don't get panicked anymore, you know? So, <laughs> unfortunately, I seem to have passed it on to my daughter. So, it's, um, when we are alone in the house, it's a mess. If a cockroach crawls past, we're just a mess. We are both screaming, looking for where, where my husband is. Um... <laughs> So this story of David, it's, um, it's crazy to me. <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't even imagine. <laughs> what would possess a man to chase after a lion? No. <laughs> what would possess a man to chase after a bear? Nah, David was crazy. So we know then um, that the David that stepped into the battlefield isn't the David, I thought. It's a different kind of David, right? And in, the, in this verse, as we read in verse 34 and 35, it says he struck them down. He chased after them, struck them down. So I wonder what he used to strike these animals down. Could it have been a slingshot and a stone, maybe? So we know then that even in the wilderness... First of all, David was crazy, already had a crazy spirit that would make him chase after lions. But secondly, all that time in the wilderness, he had been practicing his shot. With that same shot, he had taken down a lion. With that same shot, he had taken down a bear. So on that field that day, though what Eliab was seeing was just a small shepherd boy who had been looking after sheep, he was really a crazy, lion-killing, bear-killing machine that stepped into the field that day who had been practicing his shot with his slingshot. So nothing supernatural actually happened in that moment. The Lord had prepared David in the wilderness and had given him strength. He had practiced his shot. Taking down Goliath was just like taking down the bear. Taking down Goliath was just like taking down the lion. Amen. The Lord had prepared him for his next season, giving him strength. And you just thought your wilderness was just to make your life hard. <laughs> it's not just about that. God is trying to strengthen you because he knows what's coming ahead. She's going to need this skill. She's going to need to know how to pray to a certain level. Amen. Because there are some seasons you can't just be praying the 15 minutes kind of prayer. No, no. Some seasons you won't survive. There are some seasons that call for you to become a prayer warrior who is able to stand and speak to dragons, who is able to stand and speak to demons and tell them, stop right there, you can't go any further. Amen. And in the wilderness is where we gain audacity to do that. In the wilderness is where we get strength to do that. Strength to pray. Strength to believe. Amen. We are strengthened in the wilderness. I hope somebody's been sold on the wilderness experience right now. because, <laughs> Amen. Um, the third thing, the third benefit we find in the wilderness, uh, we're going to look at the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. 
Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, and then um, we're also going to read a verse in chapter 14. The next benefit is that supernatural pathways are found in the wilderness. Amen. That's the next benefit. Super, supernatural pathways are found in the wilderness. So we are just going to read a few excerpts from the famous story of the Israelites who walked through the wilderness. Um, chapter 3, verse 18 says, Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now, please, let us go three days into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Amen. So, what this verse shows us is the moment when the deliverance of Israel began, right? The deliverance of Israel began with a group of people, Moses and some elders, going to Pharaoh and making a request to travel into the wilderness, as God had instructed them to do. Eventually, after back and forth, they set out into the wilderness. And though it was a wilderness of 40 years, a lot of miracles happened in that time, right? Some really amazing things happened in the wilderness. So it was not just a long journey that was extended, but it was also a supernatural journey that they were taking. Amen. Because the Israelites weren't just in physical captivity in Egypt, right? And as God was leading them on this physical journey into the promised land, he was also leading them on a spiritual journey into the promised land. Amen. It was also trying to change their minds and their spirits from being people who are slaves and in bondage into being people who are called of God. That required a wilderness. Amen. So that's what we see, that they had to go through uh, this wilderness. And you know, there are some paths or some avenues in your spiritual life that you will only ever discover in the wilderness. In the wilderness, they would have never experienced or known the miracles of God. They were, sorry, if they hadn't gone through the wilderness, they would have never known the miracles of God. If they had stayed in the comfort of Egypt, they would have never understood or experienced the miracles of God. It took them walking into the wilderness experience to experience the supernatural God in all his splendor. Amen. If you avoid the wilderness, you will never know the supernatural pathways of God. Amen. You will never understand that there are some paths in your spiritual life God can take you on to. You only get to experience those in the wilderness. And the second verse I wanted us to look at was in Exodus 14. Exodus 14, chapter 3. So now, finally, the Israelites have gone into the wilderness. Then Pharaoh decides to have a discussion with his people. In chapter 14, verse 3, it says, um, For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Amen. Misconception. 
about the wilderness. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing that many times the only person who gets to experience the power in the wilderness is you who is going through it. To many people looking at you, you just look like you're lost. You just look like things aren't working out for you. And that's the same thing that Pharaoh assumed. He said, they're bewildered by the land. They're confused. They've lost their way. The wilderness has trapped them. He thought that they were trapped. So, following this discussion that Pharaoh has, he decides to set off to pursue the Israelites. He says, ah, they're in the wilderness. I can easily capture them. Come on, let's go and get them. So, right here we see a natural man trying to follow in the footsteps of supernatural men. Amen. And we know what happened to Pharaoh. He drowned. Because he could have never understood what the Israelites were going through. He could have never understood that what they were actually going through was the supernatural path that God had created for them. That actually their deliverance even began when God had Moses. That right from then, God was already plotting the deliverance of Israel. That even before Moses, people had prophesied about the deliverance. Pharaoh didn't know any of that. He just said, ah, they look lost, they're bewildered. As though the king of kings could ever be bewildered. <laughs> he didn't understand that God's ways are not our ways. So he set off on his natural journey trying to pursue, trying to follow in the footsteps of supernatural men. And he drowned. God's ways are not our own. There are some things in our spiritual life we'll only ever have access to when we've gone through the wilderness. Amen. There are some levels you can only get to when you've gone through the wilderness. There's some, there's some anointing that you can only find in the wilderness. Amen. There's some, something, that X factor in your spiritual life that you can only discover in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness is where God leads you on supernatural pathways. It's not just a physical journey. It's a supernatural journey that the Lord is taking you on. Amen. I think we are on number four. Is that right? Yes. Number four, the fourth benefit that we find in the wilderness is that intimacy with God is found in the wilderness. Intimacy with God. And for that, we're going to go to the book of Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2, verse 5 up to 16. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite a long passage. So I'm going to pick some things here and there. Um, verse 5. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has behaved shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall her in so that she cannot find her paths. She will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. Then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then it was better for me than now. 
For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil, and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. If we skip over to verse 12, it says, And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, of which she has said, These are my wages that my lovers have given me. So I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. I will punish her for the days of the bowels to, bowels to which she burned incense. She decked herself with her earrings and jewelry and went after her lovers. But me she forgot, says the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Echo as a door of hope. She shall sing there. And in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt, and it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you will call me my husband and no longer call me my master. Amen. In this scripture, uh, God uses the metaphor of a woman to signify a sinful nation, right? He's using the woman to signify uh, Israel. And he says that he's going to lead her into the wilderness. I should say, yes, he says, I'll bring her into the wilderness. And then he says that when she comes out of this wilderness, she's going to call me her husband and no longer her master. Amen. That's a different kind of relationship. Okay? From master to husband. I mean, master, usually there's no intimacy with the master. So he's, he's saying, I'm going to deepen my intimacy with her in the wilderness. So... This is one of the scriptures where the wilderness came up as a reaction to sin, right? But it wasn't necessarily punishing the sin. What God was trying to, what God was really trying to address was the lack of intimacy between him and his people. The lack of intimacy which had led to sin. Amen. And he uses the metaphor of a cheating wife. Anytime a spouse cheats, it's a sign of broken intimacy between the two. Amen. So this woman has begun to worship the provision that God has given her instead of God himself. God gives her money and she uses it to worship Baal. God gives her vineyards and she praises those. Amen. So God says, she did not know that I'm the one who gave those things to her. She started thinking... That her lovers gave her these things. It was really God who had done it. Amen. And you know, I just thought about this for a moment. I said, every time I get a new job, sometimes I don't immediately think of praising God. I think, oh, thank God that organization hired me. But no, it was actually God working out. The Bible says every good thing comes from God. Every good thing in our lives, every time we have provision, every time we have money, every time we have some comfort in our lives, it is because God has given it to us. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking it's anybody else who gave you that. Otherwise, you'll be like this woman, worshiping the provision instead of the provider. Amen. Every good thing comes from God, and every good thing should be credited to him. So, God says then, since 
she has started to worship the provision instead of me. I'm going to take everything away from her. You know, when God takes everything away, that's when you realize that, oh, he was actually in control. <laughs> and I guess you must have had that moment like, oh, it wasn't actually my lovers who gave me this. So God says he took everything from her. And then he says he will lead her into a wilderness where it's just him and her. Him and her. You know, sometimes the things God gives us actually distract us from him. The job God gives us keeps us so busy we can't come to prayers during the week. The money God gave us gives us, keeps us so busy we can't make time for him. Sometimes the things that God blesses us with are actually the things that take us away from his presence. And that's what happened to this woman. So God says to remedy this, I'm going to take everything away. Lead into a wilderness where it's just me and her. And you can see that the wilderness wasn't about punishing her because he says, I will speak comfort to her. God was trying to woo this woman. He wasn't trying to punish her and turn her away from him. He was trying to woo her back to him. There's a certain level of intimacy you build with God when you don't have anything and anyone but him. You ever been in that situation? No friends. No money, no nothing. <laughs> Just you, your Bible, and God. Amen. There's a certain level of intimacy that you build when there's nothing else to distract you, but all you have is God before you. And you know that even for my next meal to come, I need to pray. Even for me to make it through the next day, I need to pray. He's going to turn from being your master, who you only visited on Sundays, to being called your husband, who you commune with on a daily basis, who when you wake up, you say, good morning, Jesus. Thank you for waking me up today. What do you have planned for me today? Because I'm not going to make it through unless you're right here next to me. He will move from being your master to being called husband. Build intimacy. Amen. And that's what God desires from us. In the wilderness, when it's just us and him. Just us and God. We build intimacy. And maybe some of you already have experiences like that where you went through a time where you, you had to become intimate with God because there was nothing else. Everybody was talking about you. Everybody was against you. Only God. Amen. I've been in that place where everybody was like, have you seen what has happened to Yami? And all I had was God. He became my husband, my best friend, my provider, my everything. Because I said, God, I don't have anybody but you. I don't have anything else but you. I don't have any money. I don't have any title. I don't have any reputation. I don't have anything. And I am nothing except for what you say I am. Amen. Intimacy. Hallelujah. Number five, I love um, this story, and I hope there's enough time to tell it properly. Um, number five is that in the wilderness, there's multiplication. In the wilderness, there's multiplication. We're going to go back to the book of Luke. Now we're going to be in Luke chapter nine. We're going to be reading the story of when the 5,000 were fed by the disciples. And I want to give you a different perspective on this story. Luke chapter nine 
starting from verse 10 up to 17. So a little bit of background as well. Just before the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus had sent out his disciples to go and minister. They had gone to the nearest towns and they had traveled in pairs going to minister and he had given them authority to heal the sick, cast out demons, and they had worked hard. And then they had come back from that time exhausted as anyone would be. So verse 10, it says, And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. So the feeding of the 5,000 took place in the wilderness, a deserted place. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. When the day began to wear away, the 12 came and said to him, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions. For we are in a deserted place. And then Jesus says to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all these people. For they were about 5,000 men. Now, if there were 5,000 men, it means there were also women and children. So it was actually not just 5,000. There were a lot of people, right? Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets, just like the 12 apostles, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Amen. In this scripture, normally the focus is on the crowd, the multitude that was being fed. But this is also the a story of the disciples being in a wilderness, right? And in their wilderness, there is a huge multitude demanding something from them. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever been in a wilderness where something was being demanded of you that you didn't even have? Something being demanded of you that you don't even have. And they complained to Jesus. We don't have anything to feed this multitude. And Jesus answers, you give them something to eat. Amen. And the disciples say, well, this is all we have. Five loaves and two fish. Jesus takes their little and multiplies it. So, first of all, here's the thing we need to understand about God. God isn't just an addition type of God. He's a God of multiplication. Amen. When he takes what you have, he multiplies it. If you ever find yourself in a wilderness where something is being demanded of you that you don't have, look around for your five loaves and two fish. Because it means 
that there is something in your life that the Lord is getting ready to multiply. Amen. If a wilderness is a God-ordained time of testing, if the wilderness has been specially designed by God for you, it means that whatever is being demanded of you, you already have. Anytime you face a multitude demanding something that you don't have, it's time to start looking around. What's my five loaves and two fish? What is it in my life that God is getting ready to multiply? Jesus takes their little and he multiplies it. When you face a multitude, look around. You already have it. When you face a demand that you can't meet, you already have it. God is just waiting for you to present it to him so he can multiply it. Amen. The final benefit that I found in the wilderness, and this is now referring to all these scriptures that we have seen, is that in the wilderness, there is a sifting that takes place. I want to explain what that means. I remember on my engagement, my Jinkosue, you know, when they are, when they are bringing Zimia, they brought Sefa. And I'll never forget what the woman said to me about this Sefa. She said, this represents the sifting that's about to happen now that you're entering into a new season of your life. There are some things you're going to leave behind. And I was like, wow, this is profound. I'm being preached to right at my engagement, but I never forgot those words, you know. And I feel like the same thing happens when we go through the wilderness. A sifting takes place. God removes the chaff from our lives. The Bible calls it chaff, right? God removes the chaff from our lives, to leave behind that true treasure. A sifting of friends, even. <laughs> a sifting of friends. I felt that in my spirit when I was thinking about this. A sifting of friends. And this sifting is natural. Don't fight it. Let it happen. <laughs> Let it happen. Amen. The wilderness, as you have seen, is normally experienced alone. Nobody is there with you. Nobody. Don't expect anybody to be there. Your best friend, your husband, your mom, your dad, nobody. You are there by yourself, you and God. A sifting takes place. Only the people whom that wilderness concerns are involved. People will be sifted from your life when you go through a wilderness. You know, I, I love, there was a message I once heard by T.D. Jakes years ago. He said, he was referring to a scripture in Revelation that says that it was made known that they were not of us because they left us. Because if they were of us, they would have remained with us. And he, he translated that to say, my destiny is not tied to the people that left me. Sometimes we think... That your destiny is tied to so-and-so. But let me tell you right now, if you go through a wilderness and that person leaves, it means your destiny is not tied to that person. It doesn't matter what they did for you in the previous season. It doesn't matter who they've been to you, whether they're your BFF, whether they're your ride or die, whether they were your day one. If that person leaves you in the wilderness, it means your destiny is not tied to them. They were never meant to go any further than that wilderness. They were never meant to go any further than that season that they were in. Some people are just for a season. 
No, let me change that. Most people are just for a season. There's only a few. Trust me, there's only a few that will make it with you through your wilderness. There's only a few friendships that will survive your transition into more. Because most people can't handle your more. And some of us are so tied to the people. Forget them. There is a sifting that is taking place. Don't fight that. I feel like that's a word for somebody. There is a sifting that is taking place and you're fighting it. You're trying to hold on to friendships. Trying to hold on to connections. Like no, this connection is what's going to get me to the next season. No. God is going to get you to the next season. No connection. No boss. Nothing is going to get you to the next season. Except God. Amen. There are some people who won't be happy when they see you move forward. And to such people, just tell them, God bless you, you know. I still love you, but maybe we weren't meant to walk together in this next part of my journey. I mean, it's funny. You were cool with me when I was small and timid and insecure. But now that God is taking me into more, all of a sudden we have issues. You were happy. When I was full of shame, full of bitterness, then you were my best friend. But now God is taking me into more and all of a sudden we have issues. God bless you. Maybe you weren't meant for my next season. I know, I thought you were my best friend. I thought you were my ride or die. I thought you were the person I was going to grow old with. But since we got issues, now that I'm stepping into more, God bless you. Some people prefer it when your head is hung low so they don't have to look you in the eye when they speak to you allow the sifting to take place not everybody can survive your transformation and that's okay I came to tell you not everybody can survive your transformation. And that's okay. That's okay. You don't need to hold on to anybody. Because your destiny is not tied to the people left, left you. Saying goodbye to people is not a sign of hatefulness. Saying goodbye is a sign of faithfulness. Knowing that I'm leaving this behind because I know that God has more. More for me. So I'm leaving this behind and taking a step of faith. Understanding that God has more. Don't fight the sifting. Embrace it. Amen. So, how... These are the benefits. I hope you've been sold on it, right? Have I been a good saleswoman this morning? <laughs> so, how do you make it through? In the last few minutes, I just want us to talk about some survival tips that I've discovered in the wilderness. Survival techniques. Let's call them what not to do in the wilderness, right? If you want to experience all of these benefits, what not to do? Number one, don't ask for it to be taken away. That's the wrong prayer. You know, in this scripture in Luke, and I love the disciples because they're they're just humans, just like us, you know. In verse 12, when they see something is being demanded of them that they can't satisfy, they say to Jesus, send the multitude away. Send it away, God. Send this wilderness away. But that's the wrong prayer. 
When you're in a wilderness, that's the wrong prayer. Then you miss all the benefits. You miss the point of the season if you're so focused on it being taken away. Change your prayer. I challenge anybody, if you're in a wilderness experience and you've been praying, God, take this away, change your prayer. Say, say instead, God, what are you trying to accomplish in this season? What are you trying to accomplish in this season? Amen. Change your prayer. Don't pray for it to be taken away. Embrace it. Because that's how you reap its benefits. Amen. Second survival tip. You know, that's the second thing that the disciples did after Jesus said, I'm not going to take the multitude away. Then they said, send us away. They say, send us away so that we can go and get provisions. So that we can then come back to be more fully equipped to deal, to meet with this demand. Amen. That's once again the wrong prayer. Don't pray, God send me away so that I can be more equipped to handle this. Because if you're in the wilderness... God has already ordained for you to be there at that time. It's not time to start praying, God, I'm not qualified enough. God, I don't have this. God, I don't have enough money. It's not time to start saying, God, send me away so that I can go get more things to be more equipped because you already have all you need. In the wilderness, if you find yourself there and you can see that this is a situation I can't normally handle by myself, know now you already have all you need. Amen. Everything you need to survive that wilderness is right there in your hands. Find your five loaves and two fish. Find the thing in your life God is trying to multiply. It's time to start looking around. God, what is it that you want to multiply in my life? Because I already have all I need. All you need to do is show it to me. Amen. The third survival tip is don't try to lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6 says, lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. Supernatural pathways won't be seen by natural eyes. You're going to have to trust God. And I was trying to understand, like, what does this exactly mean? To me, it means you're going to have to ask God more often what he's trying to do in this wilderness. That means you're going to have to speak to him more. Pray more. Read the word more. Don't lean on your own understanding to try to make sense of what you're going through. Because this is a spiritual journey. And your natural eyes and your natural mind could never understand what God is trying to do in the wilderness. Only he knows what he's trying to do. So don't lean on your own understanding. So the wilderness is not meant for people who rely too much on logic. People who try to think that they're too smart. People who want to be in control of everything. People who want everything to make sense before they step into it. The wilderness isn't made for such people. It's made for the type of people who are willing to discard all intelligence, all wisdom, and say, God, in this season, I'm just going to trust you. That is how you reap the benefits of the wilderness because it's a spiritual journey. Amen final survival tip is never forget what the wilderness placed in you. Never forget what the wilderness placed in you. Because if you forget, you're going to have to take the class again. <laughs> 
I love, um, <clears throat> there's a, um, a scripture in Matthew 3. <clears throat> this will be our final scripture for today. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 4, we find a description of John the Baptist. And it's interesting because rarely does the Bible really describe what someone looks like, what they're wearing, what they're eating. But in this scripture, they did, right? So, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 up to 4. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. John the Baptist's ministry was birthed in the wilderness. Amen. And he came out saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is who has spoken by the prophet of Isaiah. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one carrying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Very rarely does the Bible ever describe what somebody's wearing and what they're eating. But here it was important for us to understand that. Because even after John began his ministry, he was still dressing and eating as though he was in the wilderness. Don't forget what the wilderness placed in you. When you come out of the other side, don't forget the lessons. Don't forget what you were taught. It's okay to look like what you've been through. You know, there's this thing going around social media. I don't want to look like my situation. Even if I'm broke, I'm still going to put on makeup. That's the wrong assumption in Christianity. It's okay to look like what you've been through. Don't forget what the wilderness placed in you. You don't need to whitewash anything. Don't forget. Write it down somewhere. Because when we forget... When we forget, just like the Israelites, because many times the Israelites, when they were punished, it was because they forgot. When we forget, just like the Israelites, the Lord will repeat the lesson. There are some wildernesses, man. I don't ever want to repeat. So I wrote them down. <laughs> God, I never want to forget this lesson. I don't want to take it a fifth time. I don't want to take it a sixth time. It's okay to come out the other side looking like what you've been through. Look like your situation. Look like the lessons. Look like the anointing that you've gained. Don't whitewash it because the wilderness was an important moment of change. Amen. As we come to a close this morning, what I felt as I was thinking about the wilderness, you know, is that the season of more will require some wild Christians. The season of more will require some wild Christians. Ones that have been through the wilderness and came out the other side with power. Ones that have been through the wilderness and came out the other side with audacity. Ones that went through the wilderness and came out the other side with authority. Some wild women and men of God. Hallelujah. I'll just invite the praise team to come up. As we close, the season of more will require those Christians who've survived the wilderness and embraced it. You went through the wilderness and you embraced it. You thrived in it. And it will even require those Christians who voluntarily go to the wilderness. 
just like Jesus, he wasn't always led by God, but even he himself often retreated into the wilderness. Amen. Wild women and men of God who've embraced the wilderness and from there have been able to step into more. Let us just stand up as we come uh, to a close. I just wanted us just to say one prayer as the praise team also plays. God, teach me how to thrive in the wilderness. I just want us to pray that prayer just for a few minutes. God, teach me how to thrive in the wilderness. Teach me how to embrace the wilderness. If I've been doing it wrong all this time from today, God, teach me how I can thrive, how I can grow, how I can embrace it, how I can come out the other side.